Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Kind of Dating, the comedy dating podcast where influential guests and I break down the dating world and try to figure out why the fuck do we all have commitment issues? Today's topic is how to be loved. Let's do this. Hey, Kind of Daters, I'm Natasha Chandale. You're listening to Kind of Dating. We have such a good episode for you today. Um, Aisha's not here, so you're stuck with just me. But if you do like what you hear today, please remember to screenshot the episode, tag us and tell us what you thought of it. Um, we are also, you know, reliant on word of mouth. So please tell your friends about the podcast and subscribe to it wherever you get it. And leave us a five-star rating or review. We're also on social media. I'm at Kind of Dating Across the Board. That's the show, actually. I am at Natasha Chandale on Instagram and Facebook, Natasha.Chandale on TikTok. So fun thing, um, outside of the podcast, I am doing this interesting thing where uh, I saw Bill Lawrence, who's this like veteran showrunner, talking about a concept um, where he he just tells himself that everything goes my way as kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And he's behind like all these hit shows like Spin City, Cougar Town, um, Ted Lasso, Shrinking, a whole ton. And uh, I decided to try it out. So uh, follow on TikTok because I'm doing a daily vlog of uh, doing that affirmation um, and seeing if anything in my life actually changes. Um, will everything go my way? Uh, I don't know. We'll find out. So check it out on TikTok. But Guys, let's get into it. I have a great episode for you. He's a return guest. He's a friend. You've you've heard him before. He's been here. Um, and he's just grown since the last time we, we uh, had him on the podcast. So excited to welcome back author and artist, Humble the Poet. What's up? How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm fantastic. You're out in New York now? Yes. From Toronto. Yeah, from Toronto originally, and then last two years in LA, and now here in New York. Yeah. Well, how yeah. do you like it? I love it. I love it. It is uh, endlessly distracting in all the right and wrong ways. I love it. Uh, did I ever tell you I used to live in New York? No, where'd you live? Yeah, I used to live on uh, Roosevelt Island. Oh, okay. The Upper East Side, yeah. Oh, I wow. had like, uh, I mean, I was there for many years. So I was I was there. Then I had like a stint in Brooklyn Heights. I lived in Lower East Side uh, for a while. And then tiny stint in Jamaica, Queens. Oh, wow. Okay. You got all times. around. Yeah, yeah. You're near all the good food. Oh, yeah. I like, mm. I my heart is in New York. My best friends are still there. So I love going back. It's a music yeah. city. Yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, I'm I'm loving it. So and, but good. you like you visited. I'm sure you used to visit it a lot before you. Yeah, no, I visited. I used to. I used to date someone that lived out here. I've, I've done a lot, but I think this time, you know, as as I'm here with the intention of being here for long term and and just being in non touristy areas and being in Manhattan more than the boroughs and not having to take the train as much. It's been really interesting. Yeah, that is the key. Uh, the key to New York is not doing the touristy things. Yeah, and then realizing, yeah. oh, it's not as busy or hectic, as chaotic as I assumed. No, and the really fun stuff is in the not touristy areas. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, like the great, like the awesome food, good music, like all that stuff is like, yeah, you just have to know. I used to, oh man, I have such good memories of New York. Every time I'm out there, it's like, I would never be awake here 
till like two in the morning anymore. But in New York, I just like blink and it's 6 a.m. I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Yeah, sometimes your plans start at 11 p.m. here. Oh, they only start at 11 p.m. there. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when I came to LA, I used to think it was so weird that because um, in New York, we used to only go out actually at like 12, 1230 is when you went out of the house. So when I first moved to LA and I remember I went to a bar and I showed up at 12 and or like a lounge or whatever. And my friends were like, what did you just do? Everything's done. I was like, what? Yeah. And then I realized like here you have to go out at nine or 10 o'clock. It's, it's a weird. Yeah. Every, every yeah, people are home by 1130 here in, yeah. in LA. Yeah. 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 Well, great. I'm happy that uh, that you're settled in over there. Uh, you know, it's been a minute since you've been on the podcast. It's been a yes. while. So uh, we have to ask again because, you know, status has changed, but like single or in a relationship? Single. Okay. Okay. So the New York yeah. one didn't work out. That one did not work out. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, but you have a great book, which yes. kind of lends itself. I wonder, like, was it okay? First, tell us about the book, and then was it therapy for yourself? Um, yeah. So I, wrote, I was, I was exploring. Um, I wanted to explore love while I was in that relationship, and I wanted to figure out. I was aware that I had it really good. I was in a good situation, but also in my life in general, like my family situation was really good. My extended friend situation was good. My extended family situation was good, but I still felt like this deficiency with love. And I was trying to figure it out. And um, I was also trying to figure out why I wasn't doing love properly, why I was feeling like, even though I had all of this, I didn't feel grateful. Um, I was meeting people who definitely didn't have what I had, and that still wasn't enough to make me feel grateful and understand that. So, you know, with all my books, they're the subjects and philosophies I selfishly want to explore and then, you know, share what I learned. I'm the kid at the front of the class sharing their notes at the end. And I think through that journey, you know, I started learning that, okay, so it, it wasn't a lack of love. It was a lack of my ability to receive um, you know, I had walls up that were created, you know, that for protection. At least I thought they were protection. And you start to realize the fortress you build is also a prison you're stuck in. So it was part of that. And then as I went deeper with that, it helped me re- start understanding differences in attachment style, codependency, and all of that. And then I realized that the version of myself that was living the life that I had, I needed, I needed to end that relationship with them. And that required me to leave the relationship I was in and certain friendships kind of do a little bit of a, uh, an overhaul, um, in order for myself to, to realize the love that was always there in my life, especially, um, realizing myself as a source of love, um, which is really the only source of love you, you actually need. It's very true. And, uh, the book's name is how to be loved. Yeah. Right. And like the the D is in parentheses. Like, so it's how to be love and how to be loved. Yes. Uh, which I thought was so beautiful. But isn't it crazy? Like the second you start learning about these things like codependency and attachment style and and really not just in like a pop culture way, because I do think there's a lot of people who just kind of look at it for that. But really in a, a way of uh, personal growth, it can change your life. Like you just, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, there's a quote that says like, once your mind is expanded, it can't go back to its mm-hmm. old, its old shape. Um, yeah. And so it's, it sounds like that's kind of what you found. Like your mind was even more expanded than it was before. Yeah, completely. And as I said, like I had to, you know, I think that the partner I had looked amazing on paper, you know, to the outside world. And it was always like, oh, why did you end that? Why did you break up with them? And I, I never viewed it as breaking up with them. I really viewed it as breaking up with a version of me that was required to survive or stay in that relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're all on our own individual journeys and our paths cross and we try to you know, walk a journey together. And sometimes you're, you're really forcing it. Um, even if there's no, nothing that I would describe as toxic or nothing that I would describe as unhealthy. It was just more like, okay, this is where we were and, and, and very... Often, and not just with relationships, with life in general, you know, we stick to a script, a script that was given to us or a script that was subtly, uh, we were exposed to through media, through culture, religion, you know, different ideologies. And 
you start to realize very quickly that these scripts served a purpose, but they don't really serve us now. And um, I think for me, that that was definitely one of those things where your eyes open and you can't, you know, as you said, you can't unsee the things that you see. And, um, you know, some of the most scariest decisions I had to make, but, um, you know, it was completely necessary. Otherwise, I would have just crumbled. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, it sounds like a real journey that you went through. So I'm yeah. I'm glad you came out the other side. And, uh, and I think it's a journey that a lot of people should take, um, which is what leads me sort of to wonder. Obviously, the core of the book is about love and to be loved and to be loved. So what do you think is holding people back from love? Um. I think the first thing is this idea that you have to be or do something for love. Love isn't something you have to earn. Love isn't something that you have to be enough for. Love isn't something that you have to qualify for. I think very often, you know, trying to be positive, we say, you're enough, you're worthy. And it's like, no, there is no enoughness. There is no worthiness. These aren't measurements that apply to a human being. You can have enough gas in your car. You can have enough money in your bank account. You can't be enough of a person. And this idea of earning and qualifying for love, I think is the really big idea that's really been messing us up. Because the truth is, we're all, you know, we think love is confusing, but it's not as extremely simple. It's not easy, but it's very simple. And when we think about our relationships that are non-romantic, love stays simple. You know, you don't, you hold a, a nephew or a niece for the first time, you know, you're filled with love. They didn't do anything to earn it. You know, there's no qualification there. Then they can throw up on you and you'll still love them. You know, so there's no right or wrong when it comes to this stuff. Because love, the love is always there. It's really about what we're doing to allow ourselves to access that love. You know, the analogy I like to use is love is the breeze. And our job is to open our sails. And that's, so instead of saying I have to find love. I don't deserve love. These again, these don't apply. You don't find a breeze. You don't deserve a breeze. You open your sail to, to, you know, to access the breeze and catch it. And you want to create pathways of love. Like, you know, if I want to deepen my love with you, you know, we we create a pathway for that love to flow. We don't find love or create love. And that pathway is built on vulnerability. You know, it's not built on me and you going on a date and me asking you your favorite color and your favorite movie. You know, it's it's, it's built on me letting you see the real me at the fear of being judged and you doing vice versa. And as we do that, and as we are more vulnerable with each other, a pathway, you know, starts to form. And then we have a conflict and we start throwing rubble and obstructions on that pathway. And then that blocks the flow of love. That applies to you and me, but that also applies to me and me. You know, I have to be more vulnerable with myself. I have to be more intimate with myself for me to access, you know, the love that exists within me. And I think that's the really big idea that we have to understand here. I think where it gets confusing is this world of romance and dating. Romance and dating, there's a lot of enoughness. There's a lot of worthiness. There's a lot of qualifying. But you're not, none of it is, none of it is love. You know, if I want to earn a second date with you, I have to earn it. But that's not earning your love. That's just earning more of your attention. And we have to understand attention, affection, admiration, power, control, success. Um, you know, obsession, these aren't love. You know, these are bootleg versions of love. These are fast food versions of love. These are the games that we play before, you know, but we all want the exact same thing, which is to be sitting in our sweats with the other person watching TV with all our masks off. You know, that's the love that we're working towards, but we're doing all this, you know, this song and dance, putting on all these masks, wearing, you know, putting our best foot forward, having our best stories, acting like something that we're not in hopes that one day we can let it all go and be accepted for as we are. If we skip all that and just get to that first step, we'll be in a significantly better situation. And I think when we realize that, it's still fine. Like, yeah, you should date and you should try to win a person over on some capacity, but don't mix that up with love. Don't conflate it with love. And then we'll start to realize that most of the things that we're doing is really sabotaging ourselves from realizing the love that was always there. And I think uh, you brought up a really good point. A, a lot of it is that we quantify love, right? With yeah. this idea of worth. Um, so that's an interesting way to look at it. Like we're always, if we're quantifying it, we're 
expecting somebody else to kind of give us a score of their, like what score did we land on their love card? And, and that creates a power dynamic that doesn't really exist because love isn't a power dynamic. It's, you know, I, I remember for me when I shifted out of that, that was like a game changer for me that Mm -hmm. like, Oh, this isn't uh, a power play because it felt like, yeah, like you're giving somebody the power to grade you on how lovable you are, which is just a mind-made concept. It's just not real. Um, yeah. And and when I just realized like, oh, it doesn't matter to play these games. I just want somebody, I just want to like be myself. And if somebody receives that, great. And if they don't, it's just not the right person. And I think that's something we've also talked about on the podcast is um, it's not about right or wrong or good or bad. Uh, love and dating and relationships is just kind of like a big jigsaw puzzle. You know, mm-hmm. no piece is a bad piece. It's just one is a better fit. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, you're just trying to find that fit. Um, and that doesn't make any of the other pieces bad. They're all uh, necessary in, in the big picture, you know? Um, yeah, and to further that point, I think it's also important to realize that like the society that we live in is not on our team when it comes to this. So we're talking about that quantifying. Look, now we have social media, which is quantifying your likes, oh quantifying gosh. your followers, your comments. So now you're mixing up all that attention for love. You know, So the way the world is operating, because society and the world has its own agenda, and its agenda isn't to make you happy. Its agenda is to keep you contributing to their economy. So, and it's the same thing with the love stories you watch. You know, all the couples that you see on TV, Ross and Rachel, Bobby, Whitney, whatever, they're not here to teach you what love is. They're here to entertain you because the healthiest relationships are in peace. And peace is not fun to watch on TV. Peace is so boring. It's boring. It's uneventful. It's like watching the fireplace channel. And it's, you know, and I think it's a really important thing because we're signal with that. We're also signal with porn, you know, this hypernormalness. And it's, it's, and it's, I think it's important to recognize that, to realize there is, there's nothing wrong with us for believing these things because that's all we're being taught. And we're being taught by you know, a larger society that has its own agenda that doesn't prioritize what we need as individuals. And again, even before we were living in larger societies, we were living in smaller societies where the needs of the tribe, the needs of the village were more important than you. And if you chose yourself over the village, you would get ostracized and probably die. So the rejection that we fear from society and other people is, is real. It's, it's, it's ingrained into us. It's, it's in our software. We just have to realize that it's outdated software and you can't delete it. You know, it's like there's software on your phone that the phone comes with. You can't delete the calculator on your, off your iPhone. It's there. Your need to people please is there. Your need to feel like, you know, FOMO is the most horrible feeling in the world. It's there. These are parts of our software. We just have to be aware that this stuff is irrelevant now and you can't delete it. You just have to catch yourself when you do it. And is that where age helps? They say, you know, like, do you find that as people get older, I mean, that, that they care less about these things? Um, I think as they get older, the, the, the stakes get less important. And I think they also have enough experience to see that it doesn't work. You start to realize that people pleasing doesn't work. You know, it's like learning that of trying to avoid a conflict creates a conflict, right? So you start to realize that, oh, all these lessons that I was taught were taught to me by people who didn't know what they were talking about and it doesn't work. So let me just do my own thing and I have the same success rate, you know, not wanting, you know, and I think it's also that realization that you can't, there's too many people to make everyone like you, you know, and there's no value to everyone liking you anyways. And that's that I think that's where the age comes in because it's just experiences. But I do, I don't quantify age with wisdom. I, I quantify experience with wisdom. So if somebody's living a life and they're not having new experiences, it really doesn't matter. And it's the same thing for a relationship. You don't I don't quantify the strength of a relationship in terms of time. Because if you're simply just watching TV every day with your partner and you guys aren't being vulnerable and building a connection, then you're not growing. You don't even know who, who that person is. You just developed a routine and a comfort level with them. Um and when shit hits the fan, which it inevitably will, you know, then the strength of your connection with that person will get tested. It's so true. And, uh, you know, even going back to what you said, like, we look at these relationships on camera as love and true love really is much more peaceful. Not like 
any relationship is ever 100% peaceful, but that idea that there, it's not a war, you know, um, and it's not drama. And uh, I have been known to be in many relationships that were drama, that were not healthy, no. that were toxic, that all, all those things in varying levels. And now I'm in a relationship that is healthy. And it's so funny because my dad the other day uh, came up and, and, you know, he's, he's used to me having drama in my life and I don't. And so he, and he knows about my partner. And so he asked me the other day, he's like, like, while while he wasn't around, my partner wasn't around. So he's like, so everything okay. And I was like, yeah, everything's good. He's like, no, is everything okay? (laughs) I was like, yeah. Everything's fine. And he was just like, are you sure? Is he, you know, you can tell me anything about him. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, there's nothing to say. Everything's good. But it was so funny to me that... It was like, it's a know, little too quiet. Yeah, yeah. He, It's like, because it's not... One, it's not entertaining. Two, uh, mm-hmm. when people are used to you being around drama or you being part of drama, yeah, they're kind of expecting that. From you, and it was just funny to me that my dad was essentially telling me, like, "Hey, do you want to come up with a safe word?" Because, yeah. <laughs> um, so, but to me, it was a sign that like I've grown, uh, and I don't know if you have found that, but in friendships, also, people are addicted to the drama, right? So, like, we're always sometimes egging our friends on to. I've really tried not to do this. But it has definitely been done to me. We egg our friends on to make shitty decisions to f- to continue that drama cycle because it's just more fun than having a friend who's not going through some shit. Yeah, I mean, if you watch a TV show and everything's okay, then it's going to be like, well, this is boring. And I think it's that with life and also connecting it with, you know, going back to ancient software. Like we also have, you know, software around gossip, right? Like we... For a long time, the spreading of information um, was viewed as as, as your value. You gained value from the information you had to spread, you know, and that was a great way to spread useful information. But you know, also ninety percent of the information is useless gossip. So we all have this little, you know, we're all little gossiping aunties in our own different ways, and you know, we have our own little bars of what's toxic and what's not in terms of what we spread and who we talk to, and we all got friends that we just do some low level gossiping with. So I think it's recognizing that that's kind of how we're wired and that's why it happens. But also like even in this idea of like being addicted to chaos, like if you grew up in a house of chaos, then chaos is your nostalgia. You know, yeah, exactly. So, and that's no different than wanting to eat your favorite childhood food. You know, it's, we don't pick what's good for us. We pick what's familiar, especially when we're exhausted and tired and we live in a world that is making us exhausted every single day. So what ends up happening is, and this is a study I, I, I quote in the book, which is, you know, um, out of 1,100 couples that have been together for over a decade, less than 8% of them have a story about a spark. You know, they didn't have a spark when they met. And, you know, the science that backs up the spark isn't a good thing. The spark is actually your fight or flight being triggered. So what, what's happening is when you feel the spark with somebody, that's actually a trigger that they're reminding you of previous trauma. Right. And then we get attracted to that because it's familiar. You know, like that guy has the same energy as my dad. You don't realize that, but it feels it feels familiar and warm. Not healthy, just familiar and warm. And again, we were raised by whoever raised us. We're not perfect human beings. And also we were observing them with while we had a developing brain. You know, being eight years old and watching your parents, your brain is still thinking in terms of black and white. You don't understand nuance, you don't understand context. You're not going to get there until your teens. You don't even have empathy at that point. And it's like you're understanding this and you're starting to develop your personality and your preferences and your comfort level based on all of that. And then you never update that story. So then, you know, you're in your 20s and someone feels like that or a house sounds like that or a place smells like that. You just you, you gravitate towards it, especially if you're just floating through life unconsciously, which, again, is something that we're encouraged to do in the world that we live in. So it's really important to understand that that. You feel, you know, if you're looking for a spark, you're looking for the exact opposite of what you need. And there's a great book called Attached that talks about attachment styles. And one of my favorite lines in that book is, we don't, we're not arguing the existence of soulmates. We're just saying you probably passed on your soulmate because you thought they were boring. Ooh. Yeah. 
That's and the thing good. is really, yeah, because again, love is peace. Yeah. You know, love is not needing anything else. Love isn't getting everything you want. It's not needing everything else. And it's, it's a feeling of peace. The same feeling when you hold a beautiful baby or when you hug your mom or your grandma. It's peace. So, you know, so all this excitement and, and the roller coasters and uh, he needs to be jealous of me or, you know, she needs to play hard to get. All of these things are signals that we were sent in other ways. And it goes back to the excitement and the fast food feeling of like, oh, I feel validated. I feel like I'm in control. I feel like I'm powerful. I feel like I'm the only one. And none of this is love, you know, and, and it's delicious, but it's not nutritious. And you do, you do enough of it long enough, and you, you know, it's going to end up eating you from the inside out. I love that. <laughs> it is not uh, what it is delicious, but not nutritious. Yeah, I love that. Uh, so humble. How do you how do you attract love? So again, you don't attract love. Love's already there. Again, you don't attract the breeze. You open your sails, and the breeze is already there. Mm-hmm. So um, you, you realize that love is always is, is, is everywhere. And what you're doing is you don't say I love you. You say you show me where love is. That's a Peter Crone idea. So what you're doing is you're building these pathways to love. So what you have to do is prioritize building pathways to love. And that comes through vulnerability. That comes through authenticity. Um, and that comes through intention and meaningfulness. So when people say, how do I attract love? It's, it's, that's why the book is called How to Be Love. Mm. Right? People wouldn't buy the book if I called it How to Be Loved. They, they're buying the book because it's called How to Be Loved. You know, But the way to be loved is to be Love. love, you know, be what you want to attract, you know, love isn't a transaction. So, you know, love exists in service. Love exists in intimacy. Love exists in being your own best friend. Love exists in being your own nurturing parent. So when you go through these, you know, your own personal journey, and you're like, oh my God, this is, these are all the ways my parents messed me up. It's not keeping it there and now identifying yourself as a messed up person. It's being like, okay, well now I'm an adult and I can fill in those gaps. You know, I have a friend He grew up on the streets. His mom had problems with addiction. He was homeless for like the first 10 years of his life. Now, you know, things are good for him. As an adult in his 30s, he took himself to the candy store and took his inner child shopping and spent $20 on candy and and chips. Oh my gosh, I wish I had candy right now. Yeah, and these are the things that as a child he never got. So he did it for himself instead of resenting his mom. He, He filling in the gaps for himself. So the important thing here is, is recognizing yourself as a source of love because you can share all the love in the world and you'll never be depleted. Um, when we don't recognize ourselves as a source of love, we look for it everywhere else. When you look for it every, everywhere else, you're already existing in a place of lack and you're not going to get it and you're going to compromise who you are and your authenticity to do it. So even just realizing, so for example, you know, for women, you know, a very simple idea that needs to be understood is women cannot compete with women for a man. You cannot do it to, to compete with another woman. The only way you can compete with another woman is to reduce your boundary. And by reducing your boundaries, you're already sabotaging yourself and reducing your own self-love. So you lose. You can win the guy's attention, but you lose the long term. So, And you know, what do you mean by that? Like with the boundary thing, what do you mean exactly? So, I agree with you. I, I, yeah. I, but I'm, I'm, I'm just like, a, I'm a girl's girl. So I'm like, I would never compete with another girl. Um, yeah. But how, how do you sort of view so, that? So in, in the concept of like, <clears throat> so your boundaries are teaching people how you need to be treated, right? So in that concept, it's, you know, you're not telling people who they need to be. You're telling, you're setting, you're, you're setting a standard. So, you know, if you start swearing and yelling at me, I'm not telling you to stop swearing and yelling at me. I can just say, if you continue to treat me like this, I'm going to leave. Continue, if you want to be like that, go ahead, but I'm going to leave. These are my boundaries. I love myself. I'm protecting myself from this situation. In, in, in the modern dating situation, you know, men, men are the pursuers and, and women are the choosers, right? Everything that a man has to do to win a woman over in just the superficial dating world benefits him regardless. Like, what does he have to do? Get in shape, make a lot of money? Okay, even if he doesn't get a girl, getting in shape and making a lot of money is still good for him in his life, Right. For women to compete is not getting in shape and making a lot of money. It's going to be reducing boundaries, trying to make a guy's life easier than the one with the woman he has. Reducing her boundaries doesn't improve her quality of life. Saying yes to when she should be saying no, because that's the only way she could probably take a guy from his current girl. Because, oh, my, my girl doesn't let me do this and my girl stresses me over that. So then you go ahead and make yourself seem easier. You know, So that reduction of your boundaries, that reduction of your standards will impact your ability to, 
to have love flow within you. And you're only and you're trading that love for something that's not love. You're trading it for attention. You're trading it for validation. Validation isn't love, right? And validation is what we have because validation is easier to get. It's fast food. It's cheaper. It's faster. It's quicker. It's cheaper, faster, and uh, more delicious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Delicious, but, but not nutritious. Yeah. Well, you eat enough. Eat enough fast food. Sure. See what happens. Yeah. You know what I mean. And if real love is broccoli, the stuff the is French fries. I know. Yeah, exactly. So it's recognizing these ideas and being like, okay, you know, and the more self-aware anybody becomes, the smaller their pool of people they're compatible with becomes. And that's something I'm always like trying to tell people is like, you're not supposed to match with, like there's 7 billion of us. You can't have 7 billion matches. You can't have everybody love you. You have to just know in yourself that, that you are like you said, maybe it's not even worthy, but that you are, you exist regardless. And like, you're not trying to be with everyone. You're trying to find the person that is a fit for you. Um, and that's it. And that that pool is actually very small. And let it be small because yeah. I think the other thing too is people, I was talking to a friend recently who said, this is a very smart individual. <laughs> she said, by the end of this year, I'm going to have a baby. So the math doesn't work out. She's also single. So I was like, the math is not working out. And I said, okay, you, you, you've set deadlines for stuff like this. Then you also have to set deadlines. I'm like, you're, you're, you're guaranteeing your child's going to be raised in a, in a broken family. Because you're rushing the, the, the baby daddy part. Because you've, you've given yourself this deadline. This, you know... I'm not knocking the science of, of of there being an age limit for women to have kids, but it's not as it's not as low as people think. A lot of this, a lot of this mid thirty science is is actually very old. You know, I mean, the truth is, you could be twenty five and not be able to have a child, and yeah. you could be forty and pop out too. You know what? Let's 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 reference Sarah Blakely, um, founder of of uh, Spanx, right? Married at thirty nine, I believe, and she's got four mm-hmm. kids. So do the math, right? And she married Jesse Isler. And Jesse Isler, I think she married him. He was like 46. So, you know, and he's got four kids and he runs ultra marathons. He's in his 50s. So, you know, don't let these timelines make you compromise your standards because we live in a society with a ridiculously high divorce rate and a ridiculously low marriage rate. So you can accomplish this, but what's going to happen 10 years from now? You know, so if you if you compromise yourself because you're afraid of being alone, ten years from now you'll be alone anyways. Plus, you'll be connected to somebody you don't want because you have to co-parent a child. And again, we do not we do not live in a society that is making this easy. I think this is very important to understand the world that we live in. The priorities of this massive three hundred million person village is to feed the economy. I just think it's really important to say this. Everything that is done is for this economy. They want you to have kids, so you buy a bunch of dumb shit for your kids. They want you to get married, not so you can have a partner, so you can spend a bunch of money on your on your, on your your wedding. You know what I mean? This is what has naturally occurred. I'm not going to say there's just a bunch of dudes at the top rubbing their hands together evil. There's just an economy. We live in a world where corporations matter and they need to make profit and industries are invented based off this stuff. So everything you watch on TV isn't teaching you how to live. It's teaching, it's entertaining you. And then you start to conflate that with reality. Like every you you grew up on Disney films. Disney films don't even do it anymore. New Disney films don't even have this unhealthy dynamic, you know, princess in the castle, guy kisses her without consent, all of this stuff. It's not even there anymore. But we grew up on that. And then that decides what we want. We want a fairy tale wedding. You know what I mean? Like you're in love with the wedding more than the marriage. We have to recognize this isn't there. Plus the amount of hours that we work, plus the amount of debt that we're in, plus all of that. Like we're we are living in a super stressful world. It's not making it easy to be in a monogamous relationship. It's not making it easy to be in a healthy relationship. It's not making it easy to eat healthy food. It's not making it easy to get exercise. This world isn't designed for any of that. This world is designed for you to spend all your time either making or spending money. 
And it's just really important to understand. So when you want to do this stuff, you have to do it with intention. Anything that you want to accomplish in life, I think in 2023 has to be done with like an intense level of intention. You want to lose 10 pounds? It's got to literally be, you know, your sole goal. <laughs> yeah. You want to start a business? You want to, you know, you want to, uh, uh, you know, fix an injured knee, whatever you want to do. You have to do with a deep level of intention. You want to learn how to cook anything because there's so many things stealing our attention right now. So, and I think it's really important if you pay, and if we pay attention to where the world's headed, people are realizing how hard that is. And now we have all these alternative love lifestyles coming out, whether it's non-monogamy and all these other things, because it's just getting super, super hard. And we, we just keep thinking we can have what our parents and our grandparents had, but they Grandpa didn't have Instagram girls to look at. You know, grandma wasn't texting him all day and then, you know, not getting a response back in time or or what have you and, and overthinking a text. You know, they saw each other for three hours a day, ate dinner, and then, you know, went back to work or did whatever they did. It's a different time. And these ideas were invented at a different time. You know, marriage, you know, was started from small villages. Romantic marriage is a new concept. Marrying someone that you're actually romantically interested in. It's like a 300 year idea. You know, this isn't what it was. I love that there are so many different relationship formulas now, you know, and and ways people feel like they're being authentic to themselves. I always just reiterate and kind of what you keep saying is, is finding out the right, what, what truly is driving you is it is it just like, hey, I'm being non-monogamous because it's being driven by, you know, I came from a broken home and I just know that monogamy isn't a real thing. And so that, or is it truly like, I truly have love for multiple people um, and I'm truly being driven by that intention. Um, it is tough in this world because... I think people just want things to go their way. And sometimes we're coming up with uh, formulas that actually add more drama to people's lives. I mean, we've had tons of people and I fully support um, ethical non-monogamy and and all of that. But we've had people come on the show who practice that and have always said that their lives are full of drama. And I'm like, why do you do it then? So... I do think, and I love the point of like really going to the core of what is driving you. I just really think that that's a key element to awareness, not just going against the grain, but doing it because you truly have thought about it and done some introspection and and figured out what's driving you. Yeah, and just recognizing that they're really, you know, I could, we, I like using the analogy of fitness, and it's like, you know. If you want to lose weight, it's simple. You consume less calories than you burn. Simple doesn't mean easy, Mm -hmm. right? Now, we live in a society where it's very difficult to consume less calories than we burn. Um, Most of us sit when we work, not a lot of options for exercise, a lot of processed food. So it's more challenging. It was a lot easier 100 years ago to consume less calories than you burn. Okay, so just have some grace there. And then because of that, we've created alternatives. We've created liposuction. We've created filters. We've created all these different things. So it's not about judging that these alternatives exist. It's recognizing that it gets harder. Some people can still do it. You know, some people go overboard and do keto and all this type of stuff temporarily, and then they gain the weight back or whatever. But it's possible to do. I view the same thing as with, with monogamy. There's a beauty to being in a monogamous swan relationship. I use the term swan because, you know, swans made for life. But like, you know, I'm talking about that deep monogamy where like, you know, they've done studies and they show these old couples and there's actually scientific support that when you're in a deep monogamous relationship, it actually makes other people less attractive, like actually makes them less attractive. And you can actually get that honeymoon feeling seeing your partner even after 10 years. There's a depth there. That's not monogamy. That's swan monogamy. That's doing the work. Do I believe that could happen in New York City? I don't think so. I think two people living in the middle of nowhere uh, so while they're forming their connection, don't have outside distractions. Maybe they don't even have internet. I think it, it, they're like, you know, that's their likelihood is there. So that's the deep, it's simple, but it's hard, you know? So now what we have is with a lot of ethical non-monogamy, I view that as the liposuction, the filters, all of that. These are alternatives because it's just hard. 
You know, the first piece of advice I got in New York is the best way to date in New York is to have eight girlfriends. You know, and it's like this kind of concept, like everybody's busy. Everybody has prioritized their career or just the idea of making enough money to pay their rent and keep the lifts above water, that they're going to work hard, then they're going to play hard. And you're going to get them one Friday a month or whatever. So now everybody's seeing everybody and it's a whole different thing. And there's a beauty to that in the concept of, it's not a societal rule. It seems like a natural progression of what a, a place that has 11 million people would do, you know? And so it's more like, okay, if you want to go back to the old school stuff, go somewhere that feels old school. Go to a smaller town. Go to a place that has 10,000 people and your your chances of a wandering eye won't be there. Your chances of daily stress impacting your relationship won't be there. It'll be a completely different situation. But we just, I think there just has to be a recognition that like these ideas were made by people who never could have conceived what Wi-Fi is, what Instagram mm-hmm. is, what dopamine addiction is, what hyper anxiety is. They, they, they didn't realize this world. You know, and we're trying to honor these ideas that they came up with. Do you think that there is room like so, I, you know, I lived in New York and I know I used to tell everybody all the time, like monogamy is not a thing in New York. It's just not a, it's not a thing. But it's also a culture of people who are so invested in work. I was also that person. And there isn't a lot of self-awareness. You know, there are a lot of people who do therapy but that still doesn't mean you're aware. A lot of people go to therapy just to vent out to somebody that, hey, this is my problem, but they don't actually do the homework and uh, and the things it takes to to enlist change. Because I can say as somebody who was a hard commitment phobe, who really openly, I fucked a lot of people, I did my fun, I had my my time, in New York, I, I was wilding out all the time. It was great. I had the best time, but I was not fulfilled. And and I knew that deep inside, but I was just like, this is still fun. And, and I just didn't, I honestly just didn't care. And after a point, there came a point where I was like, oh, fuck. I just feel unfulfilled. It wasn't even like I feel empty. You know, it's not one of those like, I feel dead inside. I just was like, oh, shit, this actually isn't enough anymore. I was like, fuck. And, and then I had to go, you know, then therapy took like a different turn for me where I really started doing the work, which got me to face a lot of negative emotions, like really figuring out what was driving me, answering a lot of things I didn't want to answer before. Like, was I addicted to chaos? You know, who's the only constant in my life? It was me um, doing all of that. And then I can say, like, uh, my attachment style definitely changed. I, I, we've actually had a therapist on who who did attachment and she's been on multiple times. And I, and I can say as a person, like, I have grown a lot. Not perfect, not, you know, there. Um, but much improved to a point that all of those other things that I used to partake in, I don't feel like I'm missing out anymore. Because I, I did it. I had my fun. I did my thing. But like now I was like, oh, I actually want something more. And uh, so I do think that was my long-winded way of saying, I do think it's possible in New York, but it requires people. I think it's possible anywhere in the world. And I it's think the opposite anywhere, yeah. is also possible. You can be in buckfuck nowhere with 10,000 people and be completely unaware and choose to live a shitty life yeah. that treats people like shit. You're going to do that. Yeah. But you can also choose in all the noise to go like, I can see the noise and not be the noise. Yeah, completely. And, and, and I think that key word is intention. Right? Yes. So I think, as I said, like, the New York's not going to make it easy to be yes, in a monogamous one relationship, you know, versus being in bumfuck Idaho, right? Or middle of Montana, where it's just you and your partner. You know what I mean? So it's in that in that concept, you know, it's not going to make it easy. But if you're intentional, you're like, this is what matters. And I think that's the big thing right now. It's like, you know, anybody out there, if you're what what you're looking for, be very intentional for it. I think, you know, a big conversation I have with my friends out here is they want a partner, but they're also in the meantime, they're okay having fun. 
And the question is, is you're having fun sabotaging the partner? You know, should it should should you be like saying no to everybody who is not a compatible long-term match and holding out for someone who is compatible um, versus simply being like, no, no, okay, well, she ain't the one, but she's she's here right now. And then I'm gonna have some fun with her and create a bunch of chaos with her until my soulmate just magically arrives. And we just have to recognize like the relationships we build are more important than the relationships we have. And that requires intention. And anything you build requires a lot of unsexy repetition, practice, uh, uncomfortable conversations and all of that. And it's gotta be extremely intentional. It's not diamond rings, it's not trips to Paris, it's not all these gestures of romance once a month to make up for the other 28 days that are shit. And so I think from that standpoint, it's the intentionality of it. And again, we've all, you know, we outside of relationships again, and I, I like using analogies outside the relationships just to show that this is normal human behavior. Like we all will go out for food that we know is going to make us feel like trash a few hours later. And sometimes we, we kind of budget for it. <laughs> We're like, all right, cool. I really want this food. Tomorrow's going to suck or I'm going to go out and drink my ass off. Tomorrow's going to suck, but I'm going to take work off and I'm going to have a quiet day and close my blinds. And, 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 I, and I am owning the consequences of these actions. And I think, you know, when you were, when you were enjoying your, your non-monogamy, you were owning the consequences of the actions. So you got to a point where you're like, all right, I think I'm done with this. Now it's time to, to make a decision that I think eat, eat a little bit healthier choose nutritious over delicious, choose long-term gratification over short-term gratification. And good things happen with that, you know? But again, as I said, like that require, I guess the way I look at it is like, if you're on a diet, you don't live in a candy store, you know? Like the diet starts in the grocery store and what's in your kitchen. And I think I look at it from the same way with this, where it's like, if you plan, if you really want to have that, you need to optimize your choices, your life and your environment to have it. That's so well put. And and I want to ask you as like sort of a last question as we wrap out this episode. Um, do you think we're we are attached to the idea of who we are or who we were and don't want to change because of that? And I'll give you an example. Again, as the person who used to be the hardcore commitment phobe. I kind of started attaching myself to that personality. Like I was the fun person everybody wanted stories from. And 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 I was funny. And that made me kind of entertaining to people. And I kind of got attached to that, that label of like, oh, Tash is a commitment phobe. She's never, you know, tell us a crazy story you got this week. And when I came out of that, I had to very consciously go, okay. I'm going to be the boring one now. I'm not going to have a story for people to tell, like to tell people. But I won't have that kind of dramatic story, but I will have other positive stories to tell people that will hopefully uplift and and motivate in a different way. But even when I do this podcast, like it was like a big thing from, you know, growing myself through the years of doing this is at some point you're like, well, am I just boring because I'm... I've trying to get my shit together now. Um, so do you think people are kind of attached to the idea of who they are and and they just don't want to change because that just is more fun? I mean, I think identities can be comfort zones and reputations can be prisons, right? And there's a Charles Cooley quote, which um, Jay Shetty always says to me is his favorite quote. And it's, it's a brilliant quote. And I'm going to say it twice because it's it's simple, but not simple. It's I, I, I am, I am not who you think I am. I am who I think you think I am. Okay, one more time. I am not who you think I am. Mm -hmm. I am who I think you think I am. Oh, that's like a very people pleasing quote. Like, isn't, is that? It feels like well, it's, I am it's who identifying. you think I am. Yeah. I, I am who I think you think I am. I am who you think I am. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so like, let's say, for example, I walk down the street and I see you. And I'm like, oh, look, there's an attractive girl. Um, oh, but she'd never go for a guy like me. So I think that you think, you know, that because I'm, I'm projecting onto you what you think about me. Right, right, right. Not right, knowing... Right. 
anything, you know, and, um, or, you know, show up to a wedding, not dressed up enough. Now I think everybody thinks I'm a bum, you know? Even though nobody's thinking about you like that, but you have projected this idea that... Exactly. So even when it comes to these identities, and sometimes it's based off saying. So, you know, for me, one of the big ones was um, somebody had described me in a room full of people that I admire as like, oh, you know, this guy, nothing ever bothers him. He's so even, you know, he's so emotionally like stable. So then I started, I created that prison for myself. I'm like, well, I can't let, I can never let anything bother me. I can't be uncool and get offended. I can't be uncool and get hurt and have emotions. And all that did was make shit bottle up until I I had a, a breakdown, you know? So it's that idea that, you know, we always, we fear people's criticisms. We have to watch out for their compliments. Because if their compliments aren't us, you know, that's just as dangerous, you know? And it's like, if I say, um, you know, you always, you're always put together, you know, and, you know, or you're, you're, you're always on time or you're always organized. Like you're going to try to live up to that. And I think, so when we talk about this idea, like with, with these identities, it's like, yeah, my social circle look, looks to me as the person who has the cool stories and interesting stories. And, you know, I, you know, there's there's a there's a there's a mentor of mine who's you know an older married man, and just coincidentally, you know, especially with the pandemic and the gaps, when I saw him at events and I brought a plus one, it would be a different, a different female, and um, you know, and I was in L.A. You know, L.A. has no shortage of you know symmetrically faced genetic lottery individuals. So I was showing up and I was showing up with people I enjoyed being around, but they also very easily could serve as arm candy. And then he made a comment like, man, I always look forward to see who you're bringing. This is, you know, a little guy comment, this little guy, you know, but that's enough to get in my head. Like, oh my God, like every time I go, I, I need to, even if it's not even, even, even if they're not even romantically linked with me, I just need to, I just need to have a good looking person beside me because he said that, you know, and I know he doesn't actually care that much. If I show up alone or if I show up with my mom, like he's not going to care, you know, he just made a comment, but we internalize these things because for tens of thousands of years, that's the only way we understood how to live in our village. We had to pick up cues and we had to stay on everyone's good side because that was the only way we would be accepted into the village. But we don't live in villages anymore. You know, you, you live in a city of 10 million people and the people in your neighborhood don't like you. You can move three blocks away and never see them again. And it's not a big deal. Just close your door. Just turn off the comments. Just do all of these different things. This fear of rejection is, is such an interesting thing. And the truth of it is, especially as somebody who's been a public figure with a big following for a long time, the only the only reason I'm not impacted by mean comments on the internet is because I'm not impacted by the nice comments. You're just not allowed to be impacted by the comments. You don't get to choose to enjoy the nice ones and not be impacted. You know, either comments impact or they don't. <clears throat> so I think when it comes to these identities that we create, it's just that. And we don't know what people see when they see us. We don't know. We honestly don't know. And it's a really, you know, having a conversation now, you know, living, you know, I'm, 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 I just finished home hunting, but I'm not getting my keys to the new place for another month. So I'm crashing with a friend in Brooklyn who's also temporarily here while his home is under renovation. And he made a comment about the women here seeming more down to earth in Brooklyn versus the women in Manhattan. You know, like easier, they seem easier to approach. And I'm like, is that just because they, they, they seem dressed, they just seem dressed more relaxed? Does that, but does that really mean anything? Like, does it, is, is it really that a woman who wears a $1,000 dress is less approachable than a girl who wears thrift store clothes? Like, is it really, you know, and I think for me, the experiences I've had, like, it's, there's no difference. We don't know what people see and we don't know what they're experiencing. We don't know who they are. We're projecting onto them. They're projecting onto us. All of us are just insecure little messes. And all we got to do is just say hi and see what happens. And, you know, and I have guy friends who are pretentious, bougie, judgmental individuals. And they're still not horrible people to be around. They might tease me for my fake $5 sunglasses because I'm not responsible enough to own nice ones. And they'll be like, oh, those, 
where'd you get those from? I'm like, I got them on the street. Yeah, it shows. Like, don't make little comments like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, of course not. Yeah. Now, I know those pretend that pretentious level exists, but that doesn't mean it's everybody. Yeah. I mean, you know? also, yeah, it's a, you know, I remember in high school, um, I I still have this. I, I'm uh, People are surprised I'm an introvert. So uh, in crowds, I don't, I'm not like looking to be the center of attention or anything like that. So in high school, we used to have this big foyer and I used to feel a lot of anxiety walking when, you know, in between classes, um, everybody would kind of be hanging out in the foyer. I had a lot of anxiety about walking through all those people, especially if I was alone. So I had this thing where I would pick a spot across the hall and sing a song in my head. Mm. And so I, that, that was how I, you know, but I didn't realize like my face was just kind of, maybe it was like RBF and I, and I didn't realize cause I was just singing a song in my head to get myself through the walking through the crowd. And so many people used to tell me like later in honestly, like senior, when I was in 12th grade or grade 12, they were telling me, you know, you're, you're you're kind of like icy. And, and somebody said that I'm, I, I'm like a bitch and somebody said the word pretentious. And I was like, what? Yeah. And the people who know me, they were like, if, if you talk to you, we know you're not, but you give off that vibe. And I was like, oh my God, why? And they were like, cause you don't talk when you're walking by anybody. I'm like, I have anxiety. I'm just looking yeah. at a point yeah. and trying to get through the moment. Mm. I don't even know that anybody's looking at me looking for acknowledgement. Yeah. I'm it's, just it, trying it, yeah. to get through the moment. And just a simple, it's, you know, it's it's also like, you know, context and everything. Like I, I think about my dad, like my dad, he's a grandpa, right? And he's got a good banter with my nieces and nephews when they were kids. And when they were very young and they came in the house, my dad would be like, get out of my house. And then they would be like, get out of my house. And it would just be this cute little banter that they had. And then for some reason, once some little kid that wasn't related to us said something or came near, um, I think it came, I think he is a young guy. And then he uh, asked me for a photo. He recognized me. And then my dad made a joke like, that's going to be $10. My, this kid doesn't know my dad. So my dad just looked like a scary old man to him. And he got scared and he left. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it was like that. Like, that's, yeah, that's not your grandkid. He doesn't, he's not picking up on your sarcasm because yeah. you're just a scary old man to him. You don't know who you are. And I always think that's important. Everybody's, no one's smiling default. Everyone has a resting bitch face. And it's like, it's it's a really interesting thing. And you know, I've gotten that too. Where it's like, oh, you seem very unapproachable. You seem very like, you know, serious. I was like, or I'm just spaced out in my own world, not thinking. And, and, and I'm thinking about stuff. I won't be smiling. Yeah. You know what I mean? I like know being, there's this weird thing of everybody just wants you to be smiling all the time, especially like, I'm sure you get that. I get that all the time. That'd be creepy. If yeah, you just saw people smiling on, and, and, and I get it to a, an extent. Um, I don't. <laughs> I think, well, I mean, in the context of like, I, I think with guys, if two guys make eye contact, it's just a nod, yeah, it's, it's an acknowledgement. I think, if, 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 you know, if you make eye contact, you know, I think for me, having a puppy has been very disarming for people. So they see my puppy. Um, she's she's just right in the back Aww. right here. Oh, cutie. Little, Sleeping. She's back there. Yeah. But like, there's definitely, it's been a disarming element of that because then it'll give them an opportunity to look at me and give me time to smile. Things kind of warm up on that, but it's just context as well. And I think yeah. that that is a really, and, and a, a lot of people, you know, have that. People think I'm unapproachable. People think I'm a bitch. And, you know, you're, you're a teddy bear on the inside, you yeah. know, but you may look, but also like if women want to look attractive, sometimes the, what they do is they make themselves look dangerous. Yeah. Like you go for Angelina Jolie and you try yeah, to look yeah. very dangerous with the eyes, dangerous with everything. So that also gives it gives it that yeah, idea. It and impression. telling, you know, and I used to tell in my my last relationship, telling my ex, like, you know, a compliment used to be like, wow, like you look unapproachable. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you look so hot, I would be too scared to talk to you. And it's, it's still a compliment. It's an interesting thing that we, you know, it tells us our story more than anybody else's. And um, you know, if we all take that first step to let our guards down. And create that level of connection with somebody, even if it's just having a conversation about the weather or a conversation about something or complimenting their shoes or whatever. Like you'll see the guards come down. 
mm-hmm. you know, or like, hey, I, I love that your earrings match your shoes. And someone feels seen all of a sudden and you'll see them warm up. And I think if, if, if we do that a little bit more, and again, we live in a society that encourages our isolation yeah. because people will gain more money and power when we're divided. Do you know who's so good at that? Side note, um, Russell Peters. He remembers things about everybody. So if he meets you, he'll always be like, hey, um, how's your dad doing from that time? Mm. Blah, blah, blah. And you're like, what? Uh, did I tell you about that? And But I've seen him do that with strangers like or, or you know, some person he hasn't seen in a really long time. He'll be like, oh, didn't, how's that car that you were driving? Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I literally can't remember when I met people or anything and he, but he makes people feel so special and seen. And I've always seen the reaction of people go like, wow, like you know me? Um, yeah. Yeah. And you remember me? Like, it's just like a, a crazy thing that like, we still want. It actually makes, and I feel like it makes everybody else in the room feel a little bit less. I was, I had done a shoot. I was helping Lily do a shoot with The Rock. Wow. And Rock they is were, like my my dream, not yeah. in like a crush way. Like like I'm a big wrestling fan. So yeah, he's just a magical dude. And I was tasked with, I was I was directing, so I was tasked with giving him. Like he shows up, and you tell him what to do. He's not he doesn't know what's happening until he shows up. Yeah. You tell him what to do. So I was tasked with telling him what to do. And at one point, people are changing lenses, doing whatever, and he goes, "Oh, humble, you just had a birthday a couple of days ago, right? Happy belated birthday." And like, not only was I shocked and seen, everybody in the room was shocked and saw, you know, and it was just this whole like, oh, he's more wonderful than we just thought. Like, he just saw you. He knew it was your birth, you know, and I'm sure somebody just told him before he walked in the room, like, here's some stats and here on everything else. But it's that little, these little gestures make the difference. And he's wonderful enough for even having someone do that, you know, yes. or maybe he was looking at my Instagram right before yeah, he walked in that's the room or whatever what it, it could be. Yeah. But it was this beauty of people want to be seen. And yeah. I think this is important when we talk about this idea of love languages. That's the only love language mm-hmm. to be seen. You know, you can be seen through gifts. You can be seen through seen through touch. I don't know the other ones. But instead of us falling through this pop culture idea that we have unique ways of being loved. No, it's being seen. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and let's not join teams and start writing other people off because their idea of being seen might be something else. You know, I think anybody can be seen in any capacity. It's, you know, I was I was talking to a girl recently and she's like, I don't like getting gifts. And I was like, well, you know, what if I got you a locket with a picture of your grandmother who passed away on it? Oh, well, I'd like that gift. I'm like, yeah, because you feel seen. Because <laughs> I've been listening to your stories about your grandmother. That makes you feel seen. You don't want flowers and diamonds, you know? And I think it's, it's more of that idea of seeing somebody. And the way to see somebody is... And to be seen is to be vulnerable so people can see you, you know? And we just fear all this judgment. So we build all these walls and then we're all just isolated and the love can't flow between us. It's so true. I mean, uh, you are so articulate um, and I love that. And you have so many gems in your book that we couldn't even get to because there are just literally so many. Um, So guys, definitely get how to be loved uh, we will also have it in the show notes of this episode. Humble, thanks so much for being on this uh, episode with us. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, you're not totally done. So we're going to do a quick little thing called six questions. We did it with you before, but you know, so much time has passed. So maybe your answers have changed because you are a different person today than you were then. So uh, Humble, are you ready for your six questions? It's like our rapid fire. I'm ready. All right, here we go. What is the first thing you notice about a potential partner? Your face. Nice. What is one deal breaker? Not going to therapy. Ooh, good one. Yes. What turns you on? I'm no, I'm just because I had a moment recently where somebody was saying something totally non-sexual that totally turned me on. I'm just trying to figure out what it was. Being obsessed with something. So somebody who knows their obsession. Hearing somebody obsess over something, whatever it is, it's like, I, I love that, that they've discovered what they're obsessed about in their life and they're expressing it. Shows passion, maybe. Yeah. But, uh, what are one of your strengths and one of your weaknesses in relationships? Uh, I'm an effective communicator. Um, I, 
unnecessarily debate everything. And my patience for um, non-male-oriented communication isn't high enough. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. The way, the way, yeah, I realize an effective communicator. A woman who I defined as an effective communicator, um, it wasn't, she wasn't an effective communicator. She was someone who figured out how to effectively communicate in a man's world. And women communicate differently. And it's not their job to figure out how to communicate with a man. It's equal. I should learn how to communicate with them as well. So I've been doing a lot of learning therapy and watching female-centric films to learn. That <laughs> the, uh, the big thing I learned is... Uh, women provide the evidence than the thesis where guys just want to hear the thesis. <laughs> also a good point. Also a good yeah. point. Uh, what is love? I love the Naval Ravikant definition. Love is what remains when all other emotions cease to exist. Ooh, nice. We haven't heard that one here. Uh, besides I love you, what three words would you want your partner to tell you? I see you. Mm, mm, good one. Good one. Humble. Thank you so much. How can everyone find you and the book and all the fun stuff? Yeah, you can. The book is available everywhere. Amazon, Indigo in Canada, Barnes & Noble in America, Waterstones in the UK. Everywhere books are sold, you should find it. If you can't find it, humblethepoet.com slash love. And uh, you can find me at humblethepoet everywhere. Guys, please follow him. He's so great. He's good, great for your soul. Um, and uh, this book is wonderful. So please check it out. Um, we're also on social media. We're at Kind of Dating Across the Board. I'm at Natasha Chandale on Instagram and Facebook, Natasha.Chandale on TikTok. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. If you like something you heard, screenshot the episode and tag us on social media. Finally, I know it seems tough out there, but just try. Till next time. Kinda Dating is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Kinda Dating is created, produced, and hosted by myself, Natasha Chandel. Aisha Holden is my co-host. Adam Pineless and Karina Uribe are producers. Our opening music is composed by Joe Lorenzetti, and our logo and graphics are by Jenna Yannick and K. Daniel Ellis.